So if you've been with us, uh, we've been in Proverbs for 13 weeks in this series that we've entitled Vintage Wisdom, and tonight is the last week of our study entitled Vintage Wisdom in the book of Proverbs. Next week, we're starting a new series on the life of Jacob. It's going to be called Overcome, so get excited about that. It's going to be really cool as we travel through his life and see what kind of truths God reveals in his word to us. But tonight, we're closing with a discussion on the inner life. You know, as I was thinking about that this week, you know, there are three parts that make up who we are. There's the mind, there's the body, and then there's the... We're going to do it again. There's the mind, and then there's the body, and then there's the... Soul. Yeah, soul. Or you could also say heart, right? So there's the mind, there's the body, and then there's the soul, or there's the heart. And we do a really good job of tending for and caring for two of the three. Right? Think about the mind. You spend at least 13 years of your life tending to your mind. From about five years old to the time that you're about 18, you are in school and you are tending to your mind. Many of you in this room are going to tend to your mind until you're 30 maybe 32, maybe 34, because it seems like you're in school forever, right? We, do, we have a high cultural priority of tending to our minds. But it's not simply just in going to school, right? There's, there's a cultural priority placed on being in the know. You want to stay up to date. You want to tend to your minds. So you know what is happening in the news. You want to know what is happening in different trends. You want to stay up to date on different interests that you have. You want to be well-read or whatever the case may be. You spend a lot of time caring for your mind. But not only the mind is something that we care about, but we also care about tending to the body, or at least we want to, right? right? We, we have a, a priority on eating well. That's why every single week, if you go on Netflix, there's another documentary telling you you can't eat this and you can't eat that. Right? And you've probably gone down those rabbit holes of like, what do I eat? I can't eat anything, I guess. Right? So there's all these documentaries, all this idea of eating healthy and eating green and eating well and taking care of your body, which is wonderful. But then there's also the idea of working out, right? And that's why every single year, most of us in this room, myself included, one of your New Year's resolutions is what? I'm going to start working out. This is the year. This is the year. And then about three weeks in, you're like, next year's the year. Next year is, well, we have a priority, right? Maybe you do Brickle Run Club or you do yoga or you do Pilates or you do CrossFit or you work out at your gym in your condo or you're an Equinox member or whatever the case may be. But we have this priority to tend to your body. It's important and we want to tend to our mind as well. It's important. But the question is, do we care about and spend time tending to our soul? Or to our heart? You know, do we work hard at that? I mean, think about some of the things that would be things that we would go to and spend time in that would be tending to our heart or to our soul. I mean, church is not a cultural priority anymore. I mean, the fact that you're here means that you want to tend to your soul. So pat on the back, A+. But it's difficult, even for those of us of faith. Sometimes church and going to church and blocking that out and, and attendance and all that can be a difficult thing. Spending time in God's word where we know truth is found and we know that God can reveal truth to our heart 
and can really cultivate and, and grow our soul and our understanding of him, and yet spending time in God's word and spending time in prayer and these different disciplines that God has given us can be difficult. Right? There are things that have become trendy because people are realizing that we are three people, and so you have to tend to your mind. That's important. You have to tend to your body. That's important. And many people, whether they are believers or they're non-believers or other faith, are kind of coming on to the idea that maybe we should spend a little bit of time reflecting and caring for our soul and our heart, and so meditation's real big, right? Like everybody meditates now, or at least they say they do, right? And so many people do it different ways. Some people are, are believers and they spend time in God's word and they reflect and they meditate, which is wonderful and healthy, but it can be difficult to have that as a rhythm and a routine in your life. Or some people just want to be quiet for 15 minutes and, and allow themselves to kind of be centered. Like we have this, this, this knack that is coming to us and saying we need to spend time tending to our soul, but it is difficult. I mean, think about your week. I want you to think about your week right now. How much time do you tend tending to your mind, right? You do it a lot in work, I'm sure. When you go home, you want to stay up to date on the news. You want to stay up to date on what's happening. You read. How much time do you spend tending to your body, thinking about what you're eating and trying to eat right and trying to have a rhythm of working out? And then how much time do you spend tending to your soul? It's a, it's a little bit off, I think, if you're honest. I know it is for me many times as well. But we should really spend a lot of time tending to our soul or our heart. Why? Because out of the heart flows everything. Our heart and our soul is what motivates every behavior. I mean, think about working out, for instance, right? You have this thing in your mind, you know, I need to eat right. I need to work out. This is important. Your mind is saying to do it. Your body, you're, you're saying, I, okay, I need to work out, right? Your mind and your body are in agreement. It's time to work out. It's time to work out. But unless your heart is changed, unless your heart is moved, unless your heart is motivated to install that rhythm in your life, you're not going to work out. Or maybe you will for a few weeks and then you'll be like me and say, next year it's going to happen. Right? And think about dating. When you're dating someone, you may be thinking in your mind, this person has all the qualities. They have a similar vision for life. I'm attracted to them. My mind and my body are in agreement, but my heart isn't there yet. I'm not ready to make that decision. If my heart is not ready to give myself, all of myself, over to that other person so I could become one flesh and in covenant marriage with them, if my heart isn't there, then we're still dating. Right? Your heart moves and motivates your mind and your body. It is the most important thing to tend to, and yet it is oftentimes the least tended to of the three aspects of who we are. I mean, think about the things that we deal with internally, right? We're tonight we're talking about the inner life, the things that we deal with, burnout, anxiety, fear, apathy. Are these things physical and mental issues? No, they're not, right? Burnout, anxiety, fear, apathy, they're not physical issues. They're not mental issues. They may play a role. What they are is their heart issues, your soul and your heart are causing these things to spring up fear, anxiety, apathy, burnout. Proverbs 4.23 says this, Above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. Not just some things. Everything you do flows from your heart. Not your mind, not your body, your heart. And so tonight, we're going to specifically focus on one internal struggle that every single one of us in this room has dealt with at some point and in some way to varying degrees, and that's anxiety. So most of us in this room, 
are millennials, you know, that title, which is like so ambiguous. But this generation of millennials has been labeled the most anxious generation in the history of the world. We did it, guys. We made it. (laughs) But not only are millennials known to be an anxious generation, but America, by sociologists that have done studies, have said America is by far the most anxious country in the world. So guess what? Every single one of us in this room in some way, shape, or form, and to varying degrees, struggles with and battles with anxiety or with worry and fear. So let's jump in. Here's what Proverbs 28.1 says. The wicked flee when no one pursues, but the righteous are bold as a lion. So we've seen this as we've been in the book of Proverbs. The wicked are also the foolish, and the righteous are also the wise. And so here, the foolish person... They flee. They run away when nothing is pursuing them. But the wise person or the righteous, they will stand bold as a lion. The question is, why in the world is is the wicked or the foolish person running away when no one is pursuing them? It's because they have fear and they have anxiety that something is coming to attack them and they have to run. But nothing in fact is. And this is because, as we see all throughout the book of Proverbs, the wicked or the foolish person does not fear God, but they fear people. They have no fear for God, but they fear people. And so what happens is anxiety and fear boils up in them, and now they run from things that are not pursuing them. But on the flip side, the righteous or the wise, who have fear of God and therefore they don't fear people, they will actually stand strong and courageous like a lion when real attack is happening. When, when you should maybe think about fleeing and running and being full of fear and anxiety and worry, the righteous or the wise will actually stand and face it. Bold, like a lion, because they fear God, because they have hope and they have faith. You see, the reality is this. Many of us in this room have faith. We've seen faith be rooted in our heart. It's rooted in our minds. It has come out in our actions. We've seen God transform our heart. We have hope that is rooted deep down in us. And we've seen moments and glimpses where God has given us strength to be bold like a lion in the face of adversity. But every single one of us in this room is not always like that. We are often foolish, right? We are often like the wicked person who is running away from things that aren't even coming after us. We are fleeing when no one pursues because we're not always strong. We're not always willing to face what is attacking us. And sometimes we're thinking that something is coming because in fact we are fearing people, but nothing is in fact pursuing us. Because here's the reality that we understand as faith. The righteousness that we claim, and so you may sit here and you may know that as a person of faith, you are counted as righteous, but your righteousness is not your own. The righteousness that you have has been given to you. You didn't earn it. You didn't deserve it. You've been called righteous. You've been made righteous because Jesus was righteous for you. And so because of that, because we are made righteous, we don't earn our righteousness by our good works, we are on a journey of life As God looks at us and sees us as righteous and forgiven, 
However, we are flawed. And so what happens is as we journey through life day after day after day, we have to seek after wisdom because we will pull, be pulled back and forth between wisdom and foolishness as we're on this journey to where we come one day to meet God and be glorified. And so we all in different ways will struggle with worry and anxiety. We are not always as bold as we want to be. We run away from things that aren't pursuing us and we struggle to varying degrees with anxiety. And so the question is this, what is anxiety? Well, it could maybe manifest itself in, in different ways in your minds and in your actions, but I think at the baseline, here's what anxiety is. It is fear of losing something that is vital for life. Think about the things that you're anxious about. There's a fear there that you're going to lose something that is vital for life. Not just simply living, but also quality of life. There's a fear that you're going to lose that, and it feels oppressive. And that's what Psalm Proverbs 12, 25 says. It says, worry weighs us down, and a cheerful word picks us up. That anxiety, when it strikes, it strikes at our very core, in our soul, in our heart. And I was thinking this week, it, it seems like when anxiety strikes, it's like an earthquake hits the middle of who you are, and then there's waves that ripple out, and they affect all types of other thoughts and actions and behaviors. It doesn't just only affect the one thing that you may be worried about, but it affects everything else. It weighs you down, and it's frustrating because you can see that it affects things that you don't want it to affect. It'll affect things that should cause you to be happy and, and positive and blessings that you've received. Now you're looking at them differently because anxiety is causing this ripple effect in you. It weighs you down. As Proverbs 15, 13 says, a cheerful heart brings a smile to your face, but a sad heart or a worried or an anxious heart makes it hard to get through the day. That when, when anxiety is weighing you down, the reality is what you feel inside is projected on the outside. And so if your heart is joyful, it comes out in a smile. You project a smile or positivity. But when what is striking you and what is plaguing you on the inside in your heart and your soul is worry or anxiety, it, it comes out. It makes it hard to actually get through the day, to do certain tasks, to go to your job, to go do the different things that you want to do. You want to go work out, but you can't go work out because you struggle with anxiety. You're worried about something. I, I actually can, I can tell the condition of my heart when I go to work based upon the band that I choose to listen to. Any of you guys resonate with this, right? Like you're sitting down, you're about to get ready to work. I listen to music when I work. A lot of times when I listen to sermons, if they're like really intense because I'm listening to EDM, right? I'm listening to all different types of stuff and I can tell where my heart is at based upon the band that I choose. I'm like, oh, <laughs> you know, a, a sad or worried or anxious heart at the moment because I chose this band. Or I'm positive, I'm happy, I'm joyful because I chose this band. It, what is inside comes out. It projects itself out. It weighs us down. And Proverbs 14, I think, can feel too real for all of us in here that maybe are even currently struggling with anxiety or have very recently, right? So it says, even in laughter, the heart may ache. And the end of joy may be grief. That what happens with anxiety and, and sorrow in your inner life is that it forms this backdrop 
to where even when you come into moments that should produce laughter, and maybe they do in fact produce laughter, you can't even enjoy it because what your heart is feeling is pain. It's, it's worry. It's anxiety. And sometimes maybe even you pretend to be happy or joyful or to laugh, but inside, it's hard. It's a struggle. The end of joy may be grief. Corey Tim Boom had this quote. It's really amazing. She says this, Worry is carrying tomorrow's load with today's strength. Carrying two days at once. It's moving into tomorrow ahead of time. Worrying does it empty tomorrow of its sorrow. It empties today of its strength. Because you're carrying two days at one. And so it makes it hard to get through the day. It makes it hard to laugh. It makes it hard to engage in the things that are blessings in your life or or positive things that are happening because worry is forming this backdrop that is weighing you down and you're anxious and you're struggling with that. And Proverbs here earlier says that what we need actually in the midst of anxiety and worry is a cheerful word. The question is this. Is a cheerful word something like this when you're struggling with worry and anxiety? It's going to be okay. Right? Don't worry. Right? It's all going to work out for good. How does that feel when someone says that when you're worried and facing things? It's not a cheerful word. Right? It's a word that hurts. You're like, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah you do the fake smile like I'm never talking to you again. Right? <laughs> because the reality is this. The anxiety that you feel may in fact be well-founded, right? Something may be pursuing you. There may be something that you genuinely would be anxious or worried about. Or your anxiety may be not well-founded. You may in fact be running away from something that isn't pursuing you. It may be completely justifiable or not justifiable, but the reality is this, you're feeling anxiety and the anxiety is real. It is real. Regardless of the reasons and regardless of whether or not other people see it as valid, the anxiety is in fact valid. You're feeling that. And so when someone comes and gives a simplistic and non-empathetic word that is cheerful to you, it is not cheerful. It hurts because they don't understand what you're feeling, and it may be frustrating to you, and it may be persistent, and it may feel constant, and it may feel like, I don't understand why, but you feel it, and it's real. And it's really not easy to communicate with other people, and that's what Proverbs 14.10 says, as the heart knows its own bitterness. You know what you're dealing with. You know the anxiety. You know the worry. You know the struggle. You know the fear, and no stranger shares its joy. The reality is what it's saying is that your emotional movements and your anxiety and your fear and your worry, are too, it's too complex for other people to understand because it's too personal. You can't expect for someone else to completely understand why you are as worried and as fearful and as anxious as you are. Have you ever felt like this where you maybe are communicating your anxiety to a friend or to a spouse or a boyfriend or a girlfriend or your mom or your dad or a mentor, maybe even a counselor. You're communicating it to them. You're expecting for them to understand why you're anxious, and they look at you like dogs look when they're confused, like, hmm? You know, like, wait, what? 
I don't understand why. And then often what happens when you tell someone and you explain why you're anxious and what you're worried about, because they can't understand fully, it's too complex for another person to understand because it's too personal to you, what happens is well-intentioned questions come next, which are questions oftentimes like this. I don't understand why you feel like that. Why do you, why are you anxious about this? Why don't you just think this? Or why don't you just recognize this? Or why don't you just do this, right? Oftentimes what happens is when we communicate our anxiety to other people and the things that we're worried about, people come to us with well-intentioned questions because they do care about us and they're not really completely capable of understanding and they respond with questions that they think maybe are helpful or they're like cheerful words, but they're not at all because they don't understand. And so there's two really important things to remember that Proverbs is revealing to us. The first is this, that for the person that struggles with anxiety or the person that is currently struggling with anxiety, you cannot expect other people to completely understand what you're dealing with. You can't expect for people to understand why you're anxious and why you're worried. It's too personal and too complex for another person to really understand it. You can't expect that of someone else. But then for the person that is responding to somebody with anxiety, don't make their feelings simplistic. Don't act as if you understand. Don't presume that you get it, because you don't. As, as many times and however long the other person, your friend or, or your loved one or a family member is communicating to you what they're struggling with in their heart, the fear, the worry, the anxiety, do not presume that you understand because there's no way you can understand. You can't. Which means that the cheerful word here that Proverbs is talking about that we need in the midst of our anxiety is a word that is fueled by empathy and love and accepted ignorance. It is a word that is fueled by empathy, love, and accepted ignorance. It is a word that is communicated in a way that you say, I don't really understand everything that you're saying, but I love you and I support you and I'm here for you and I want you to try to explain to me and I'm gonna do my best to try to understand and share in this with you. And I just wanna listen it is empathetic, it is loving, and it understands a cheerful word that you cannot completely understand what the other person is feeling. There's a very famous verse in Romans that says this, rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. See, what Romans is communicating here is the idea of empathy, and empathy is sharing in the feelings of another person. This is what empathy is. You're seeking to share in those feelings. And so when someone's rejoicing, you rejoice with them. When someone is weeping, you weep with them. And so when you empathize with someone, it means that you are seeking to share in whatever that emotion is that they're feeling. And obviously here in Romans, it speaks about two feelings that are on different sides of the map. You have rejoicing and you have weeping, but it includes all of the other emotions in the middle, laughter, anxiety, fear, joy, whatever it may be that you as an empathetic person that is the wise person seeking to bring a cheerful word that you seek to share in the feelings with another person. Have you ever showed 
someone a, a YouTube clip that you thought was really funny, and you show it to them, you're so excited, you're going to show them this really funny YouTube clip, you're like, I can't wait for you to see this, and then you show it, they're like this, that was funny. You're like, okay, never going to show a YouTube clip again, right? Like, you want them to be like, ah, like dying on the floor laughing. When you're a kid and you're afraid of monsters in the closet, right? I don't know if you were ever there. If your parents walked in the door and said this, there's no monsters in the closet, okay? Go to bed, kid. Close the door. Is that going to help? It's not going to help at all. What, what, what do good parents do? They come in, they say, okay, let's go check out the closet, right? Check out the closet. Let's check out under the bed. Anywhere else you got to check out. I know we're, we're, we're in this together. Let's look around. We'll check the whole house. There's no monsters. Great, good. You can go to bed. Okay, awesome. Right? A good parent shares in the fear. The fear is ridiculous. There's no monsters, but a good parent shares in the fear. Have you ever been to a surprise? Raise your hand if you've been to a surprise party before. Okay, we're going to do that again because everyone here. Raise your hand if you've been to a surprise party. Okay, if you haven't, you need to. It's, it's like part of life. We'll do one for you. Okay, just come let me know after. So you go to a surprise party, right, and this person's coming in, they're going to be surprised, you're all hiding out. For some reason, a surprise party, everyone's supposed to, like, be quiet, but you can never get people to stop talking. You're like, shh, 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 you know, it's, like, so loud. And what happens, like, have you ever been to a surprise party where the person walks in and everyone's like, happy birthday. Nice to see you. It's cake, time for cake, right? That would be, like, so awkward. What happens when you go to a surprise party? Everyone, when the person comes in, everyone, like, loses their mind for one second. Like, surprise! Like, if you had a boomerang of that, it would, like, be, it would be a total meme. That's what the kids are saying now. They're memes, right? Everything's a meme. It would be a meme, right? Like, people go nuts. They lose their mind for one second because you share in that emotion. You empathize in the moment. And so when someone is, is struggling with anxiety or with worry, or with really any other emotion, as a wise person, when you come and you're seeking wisdom, you're seeking to come to that person and to bring a cheerful word, which is what is needed to somebody that is dealing with anxiety, you come to, with words that are seeking to share in the feeling of the other person. You understand there's no way you're going to understand what they're feeling. You know that. You have an accepted ignorance because what the other person feels is too complex for you to feel but you're coming with words that are empathetic, sharing in that feeling. And this is what it means to be kind. Look at Proverbs 15.4. It says this, kind words heal and help. Cutting words wound and maim, which means kind words are fueled by empathy and love and humility. See, kind words are empathetic because they're seeking to share in the feeling of the other person. They are loving because the aim is healing. It's not condescension. And they are humble because they don't pretend to know and to understand why the other person is dealing with anxiety. But cutting words are the opposite. They're fueled by selfishness and by anger and by pride, right? Cutting words are selfish because the desire is for the problem just to be fixed, right? Like, okay, let me hear why you're anxious. Let's just fix it. Think this, do this, done, right? You're good. Or they're angry because you're just frustrated. You just want it to be over. You're exhausted. Or they're full of pride. 
which is when you're in the conversation with someone who's revealing to you what they're worried about and they're anxious about, and you say, oh, no, no, I get it, I get it, I get it. Here's how you fix it. Here's what you do. Just think this, just do this, and everything will be okay. Those words are cutting. They wound. But the wise person is kind. They're empathetic, and they're loving, and they're humble. And here, here's the reality. Being wise in terms of your speech to somebody that is revealing their heart, they're revealing their anxiety, is not easy. It's difficult to be empathetic. It's difficult to be loving with your speech. It's difficult to be humble. And it is also difficult to deal and struggle with anxiety. It's not easy. It is frustrating because it weighs you down. And you, nobody wants to be worried. No one wants to be fearful. No one wants to be anxious. And there isn't like a perfect five-step process or solution. And so if you were thinking that there was going to be one, there's not. We, we wish there was, right? That would be great. Do these five things. And you can communicate better with somebody that is struggling with anxiety or do these five things and you'll no longer deal with anxiety. There are things that you may read about, right? Like breathe deeply or, or try to work out. Don't drink caffeine. Distract yourself. Focus on the positive. And some of these things may help in different ways, but none of these things are solutions. It's not going to just like do these things. I'm not going to drink caffeine. Maybe I'll survive, you know? I'm going to just think positive thoughts. I'm going to distract myself. And all of a sudden, I'm not anxious anymore. It doesn't work like that, right? And, and on the same way, when you're struggling with responding to somebody and br bringing a cheerful word to them and being kind in the midst of that anxiety with a friend or with a spouse or a parent or a mentor, it's not easy to do that. It's, it's a struggle. And so instead of leaving you with, you know, five helpful tips or something, Proverbs directs our attention to the very core of the issue, which is this. In order for you to begin to actually process and find strength and be bold in the face of anxiety and worry and fear, and for you to actually be a person that is kind and empathetic and loving and humble to the person that you're speaking with that is struggling with anxiety or worry, you got to tend to your soul. You have to tend to the deepest part of you because out of that, everything flows. You have to go to where it all starts and look at Proverbs 13, 12. It says, hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a desire fulfilled is a tree of life. See, deferred implies a never-ending extension of time. So when you defer hope, which we know and understand is not simply found in Proverbs, but is found in Scripture, when you defer spending time rooting hope into your heart and tending that so that it's in the deepest part of who you are, so that it comes out, when you defer that, it sounds like this. You know, I'm going to really start thinking about my faith more seriously later when I'm less busy tending to oftentimes my mind and my body. Right? I'm going to spend more time reading God's word and spending time meditating on his promises and the hope that has been assured of me through prayer and meditation and, and reading his word and spending time with his people and coming together on a regular basis on a Sunday night to worship. I'm going to, I'm going to defer that until things settle down in my life and I have a, a little bit more time. And it says here that when you do that, when you defer hope, 
it makes your heart sick. Because when you're not tending to your soul and rooting hope deep within you, because out of the heart springs and flows everything, if that's not happening and you're deferring hope, what comes out? What springs up? What bubbles out? Anxiety, fear, worry, selfishness, pride, cutting words. But if you're not deferring hope, if you're running after hope, if you're seeking to understand the assurance of hope that God has given you in his word and through prayer and and in community with God's people, what begins to spring up? Courage and purpose and humility and kindness and empathy and trust and faith. You can be courageous to face your demons. You can be strong and have hope in the face of anxiety and worry. You can relate to others with humility and with love and with empathy because what is being rooted in the deepest part of who you are is hope that you're not deferring. Your future is secure and so you can actually face the present. Look at Proverbs 18 is saying this exact same thing. It says, a healthy spirit conquers adversity, but what can you do when your spirit is crushed. You see, a healthy spirit is a spirit or a heart or a soul that clings to wisdom. This is what Proverbs is telling us in the entire book, that we are to cling to wisdom, that this is the solution. How do you conquer adversity? Cling to wisdom. Don't defer hope. But the question is, what does that look like? I mean, what does it look like to cling to wisdom, to not defer hope? Well, 1 Corinthians 1.30 tells us, says this, and because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us, what? Wisdom from God. See, if you're deferring hope, it means that you're not clinging to Jesus because Jesus is, in fact, wisdom. Jesus became to us wisdom from God. And so when we cling to Jesus, when we latch on to Jesus, and when we spend time in our relationship with Jesus, what springs forth? Life. See, whether you've been pushing off exploring your faith in Christ, or you've been pushing off spending time in your relationship with Christ, Proverbs is actually directing your attention to pursue Christ, to cling to him because he is, in fact, wisdom and he desires good for you. I love this, this proverb, Proverbs 16.2. It says, humans are satisfied with whatever looks good, but God probes for what is good. See, those people in our lives that we communicate with and we share the condition of our heart and what we're struggling with, our anxiety and our worry, all those different people that we do that love us, at the root of it, we will settle as human beings for what looks good. We will settle for a little progress. We will settle for a little movement in a direction of healing and growth in this anxiety or in this worry. We will settle for that because we will settle as human beings for what looks good. That's the reality. But it says God settles for what is good. And so when we are people that don't defer hope, instead we cling to wisdom, we spend time in our relationship with God and his people, and it's a priority. We're actually going to tend to our soul that way. What happens is you begin to see that God is in fact someone that is working in your life to produce good, true good, actual complete healing 
And he, Jesus himself proved it by becoming, as the proverb says, a desire fulfilled, which is a tree of life. You see, anxiety is the fear of losing something that is vital for life. This is the desire of every heart, right? Our desi- desire of our heart is life and, and a good life. That's what we want. And when we feel like we're losing that in any way, it causes anxiety and worry. And the only thing that is capable of overcoming that fear of losing those things that are vital for a good life is the reality that we've been given life. When that is rooted deep in our heart. You see, this is the beauty of the gospel is that Jesus climbed the tree of death so that you and me might find the tree of life. So that what is rooted in our heart is not death. It is not the the non-existence of hope, but it is in fact hope because what is rooted in us is life. Because Christ on the cross climbed the tree of death for us that we might be given life the tree of life planted in our soul where we can come to know and really trust, as Romans 8.28 says, that God is working good, not exterior good, true good in us for those that love him. Because God knows your heart and he knows my heart and he is in the business of working good in your heart and in my heart. I want to leave you with this. It's one of my favorite passages. And I think this is exactly what it looks like not to defer hope and to cling to Jesus in the midst of your anxiety and anything else you're struggling with. It's in the book of Hebrews, chapter four, verse 15 and 16. It says this, for we now have a high priest, this is Jesus, who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. And then here's the command. Let us then, with confidence, draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive what? Mercy. And find grace to help us in our time of need. That's the solution. That we tend to our soul by running to the throne room of grace and asking Jesus to empathize with us. Asking Jesus to bring us grace and help in our time of need. Because this is what enables us to be kind and cheerful with our words to others dealing with anxiety. And this is what allows us, when we're struggling with our anxiety, to find the strength to be a lion that will stand bold in the face of it. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this time together tonight. Lord, we thank you so much that you have rooted hope and life in our heart. We thank you so much that you have given us your son, Jesus, that you have been gracious and good to us. We pray that we would not be a people that defers hope, but instead we would cling to you. That we would run after you, that we would spend time in our relationship with you, God. That we would see that you would root your truth, that you would root hope, that you would root wisdom deep in our heart. And that we would see the ways that you provide us strength in the face of anxiety. And we would see the ways that you give us the words to say and the demeanor to have when we spend time with those that we love that are also struggling with anxiety and worry. Thank you, God, for always being there for us, not leaving us alone. 
but empathizing with us. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.